You are listening to the Tudor History and Travel Show, Travel Essentials, the place to be for all the best top tips and inspiration for planning your Tudor adventures. So, let's get ready to hit the road with Sarah Morris, the Tudor Travel Guide. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to this month's Travel Essentials. It's Sarah here, the Tudor Travel Guide, and we are already into October. Well, I know there are some of you who are in the Southern Hemisphere and looking forward to your summer, which should be coming your way very quickly. But here in the Northern Hemisphere, I have my coat on, my boots on, I'm thinking about my woolly scarf already. Yes, my friends, I can feel, and I'm sure there are many others of you here who can also feel summer retreating away very rapidly and the memories of all those summer outings fast fading into the distant past. Ah, well, never mind. It's time to make the most of cosy open fires and, yes, woolly jumpers and to look forward to, dare I say it, Christmas. Yes, in fact, Christmas is very much on our mind in this month's episode because there may be some of you who would love to come to the UK during the Christmas season. I know, of course, most of uh, most folk coming from abroad will be thinking of coming during the summer, but some of you may well be thinking of planning a winter trip. It is certainly a very different experience, and to see some of the great houses dressed for Christmas Well, that is a very special thing indeed. And so for those of you who might be being a little bit more adventurous and thinking about how to make the most of and plan for a trip to the UK over winter and particularly the Christmas period, then this episode is going to be just for you. And if you're already in the UK, well, hopefully we'll be able to bring you some additional thoughts and tips and some of our favourite things to think about or places to go uh, during the Christmas period. And then in the second part of the show, I'll be welcoming uh, our guest for this month. And on this occasion, it's my dear friend, Deb Royal from The Tudor Times. Um, Now, Deb recently spent a few days glamping in Leimane Tower in Essex, and she is going to be talking to us about that experience. Yes, I came across the glamping at Leomani earlier this year and was most intrigued uh, to find out that they have this facility on site and it sounded magical. So I'm looking forward to hearing just what Deb has to say. And then I'll be rounding up this episode by giving you some news about the future of Travel Essentials and perhaps just highlighting some of the up and coming events that I have planned uh, for you uh, in the next uh, few months and, of course, into 2022. And so I think that lays out where we'll be going in this month's episode. And I think, therefore, it is about time that I said hello to Philippa Brule from British History Tours, who you know is our regular uh, travel expert and who joins me to unpack some of the most interesting aspects and useful tips for getting around the UK. So let's join my conversation with Philippa and we'll dive right in to Christmas. Hello, Philippa. Lovely to speak to you again. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me along again. 
Well, yes, here we are, aren't we? So I was just saying in the intro, the beginning of autumn, but I think you've still been on the road this last week. You've been out and about there. So where, what have you been up to? I have. I took a visit to Hereford Cathedral, which is a, about an hour away from me. And uh, I went to see the Mappamundi, oh. which, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, is a 13th century map that the monks of Hereford, where, when it was an abbey, um, they they created their understanding of the world so um it's, a, it's an incredible artifact so yeah that was a fun day out I like that yeah god I don't think I've been to Hereford Cathedral so maybe that's one to uh to put on my list of places to see I keep seeing on my Instagram account all these amazing pictures that people take of of cathedrals and I'm like where's that where's that where's that? yeah <laughs> it's it's an interesting one they all are aren't they they're all beautiful but yes that one has a particular draw with the map of monday Mm, lovely and um i suppose we're thinking cathedrals which i can have a tenuous link here into sort of christmas church services which leapfrogs us into the topic of our day which is of course particularly christmas but but visiting the uk in winter and if you are coming over to the UK, maybe we were, we were thinking of talking a little bit about some general things to consider if you're coming to the UK, but then maybe talk about some specific historic heritage properties and the kinds of things that they've got going on uh, during the winter period. So how's that yeah. sound, Philippa? Do you think that sounds like a good plan? Yeah, perfect. Good plan. So where, where, where should we start? Should we start with um, just maybe considering some of the broader factors uh, for travel because we were having a little bit of a giggle weren't we before we came on the air talking I think you said something like yeah coming to the UK it's not like the holiday and we mean here the holiday the film which I'm sure many of you will have seen um yeah. so how so Philippa do say more <laughs> well we don't live in little cottages that are constantly dusted in snow during the winter <laughs> with open fireplaces I'm sure some people are very lucky enough to live in in such a property but uh, England in general does not look uh, like that unfortunately in fact no. we don't generally get snow if we're talking specifically around Christmas time we don't generally get snow at Christmas I don't think not in my memory um, it normally comes about January February if we get it at all so yeah and I think that's the thing I often I think that's the thing I often think about when um, I think of visitors coming over for the winter, particularly if they're coming from the Southern Hemisphere, maybe even haven't seen snow, uh, that people come here and they they want that Christmas postcard effect. But Mm. yeah, it's worth saying, folks, that our snow is very unpredictable. And and as you're saying, Philippa, if we do get it, it tends to be in the colder months of January and February. Uh, rather than in November and December. So it's a, it's a bit like chasing the northern lights, I think. You know, you cannot guarantee that you're going to enjoy that Christmassy scene. And it can be very disruptive. What we do get, which is nice, though, is um, what's well, nice in terms of picturesque, is we do get frosts, mm. the morning frosts. So you can wake up and things are glistening uh, silver because we get the frost. So, And I think... As a traveller, that would be preferential because the snow can, like I say, be quite disruptive, uh, despite the fact that we get it, you know, generally, <laughs> maybe not every year, but quite a few years, it still can ground us to a halt. So, Yes, I think unlike mainland Europe, we don't have 
we don't we're not really because we don't get snow off really regularly we're not very geared up for it so if you are over here and it does happen to snow you probably won't find you can get around much because the the roads grind to a halt trains grind to a halt everything grinds to a halt it's a bit of a running joke here i think in the uk isn't it <laughs> yeah if you if you powered by your feet if you're say in a city and you can get around you'll be fine but um yeah especially the roads we're not very good i think it's because we might get it um maybe every year but it's not for very long whereas other countries might have it for months mm. and months and months mm. so we just kind of suck it up and uh yeah and deal with it as it happens but you're right, the frosts can be amazing. The wonder, a wonderful, clear, bright blue sky day where it's icy cold with a fabulous frost. There's nothing like getting out there early and going for a lovely bracing walk. And the, the scenery can be absolutely amazing. Um, but I think temperature-wise, if you are looking to come over, I think you're probably, and obviously we're generalising here, but you're probably looking on a on a warmish day in the middle of winter, it might be five or six degrees, um, um, and a cold, an average kind of cold day might be down to sort of just minus two, three, four, anything below that, and we start to go, oh my goodness, it's really cold. And we do occasionally mm. get very, very cold Um snaps but i'm thinking you know in my adult lifetime i can think of maybe one recent christmas where it was down to minus 20 and that was about sort of six or seven eight years ago it was really that was an unusually cold affair so as long as you've got your winter woolies your scarf your gloves your woolly hat and a nice thick coat some layers you'll be fine yeah and as we always uh, recommend layers because you will boil as soon as you go either onto a train or into any building because we are generally a cooler country our buildings are built to keep the heat in so definitely go for for layers yeah yeah very good and I suppose the only other thing to think about and maybe we're stating the obvious here but I think we talked in a previous episode about how the beauty of summer is that you get lovely lovely long days where the sun can be up at the height of summer in June up until sort of nine, 10 o'clock at night. But of course, not so in the winter, is it, Philippa? What, what would you say? What do you think? It probably no. doesn't get light until, what would you say? See, uh, well, really, eight, nine o'clock. I mean, I can be taking the children to school at eight o'clock in the morning. It'd be very dull, very sort of, yeah, still, especially if it's a cloudy day, you can feel like it's still quite dark. And then it's going dark again by four in the afternoon. Yeah, I do, our days do really get quite short and it's so silly at my age and how, <laughs> and I've lived here all my life that it still surprises me. Yes, <laughs> and effects as well. I think we all get a bit grumpy at this time of year as the light starts to, to, to close in and we get much, much shorter days. It's like the world, yeah. it's like the universe teases us with the possibility of these long, long sunny days with loads of light and then it snatches it away for six months in the year and you basically go into hibernation. But anyway, yeah. there you but go. I have to say, doing uh, the research for and the look around for what's going on at Christmas for today's episode has made me a little bit excited about the winter. So it's a little bit of a, I think this might be a little antidote to those autumnal blues that might be hitting people. I think you're so right, because I was doing the same. It's just wonderful. I felt like, you know, getting the old Christmas jumper on and getting a mince pie out and um oh, oh yeah so that's what we need to talk about don't we we need to talk about 
the benefits of mulled wine and mince pies at Christmas fairs, because I think that's what we're going to talk about next. We're actually going to take you on a little bit of a tour. We've tried to find different places in the UK that have either the properties are dressed for Christmas or they have some kind of Christmas fair going on. And we're going to share with you what we think are probably some of the best. So it's over to you, Philippa, where are you going to take us first? Well, let's take you to somewhere um, that's familiar very familiar to begin with um and because I've already booked my tickets so I'm, I'm I know about this Hampton Court Palace they're having a festive fair um at the beginning of December but I think they also dress the palace which I'm very excited to to go and see because I haven't been there um in the winter before so I'm really looking forward to that they also um have an ice rink although they haven't set the dates for that yet um so um that even if you don't partake i think is you know just seeing it there people on the ice that's going to be yeah you know give it that really festive christmas feel so yeah um, i'm hoping that's up by the time uh, i go for the festive fair it's almost it's almost as close to the holiday film that you're going to get the kind of the people on the uh the ice ring with the uh, historic great historic property in the background um, yes, I went yeah. to this Christmas fair, not last year, obviously, because nothing happened last year, but I think the year before, yeah. and I met Deb Royal, who we're going to be speaking to, or who I'm going to be speaking to shortly, we got together, and uh, I do distinctly remember the mulled wine and the mince pies, and because it was oh, a very cold good. day, uh, and um, having a look around the palace, which, as you say, is is dressed. I wouldn't say it's it's got some of the best Christmas decorations I've seen in, in historic property, but that's probably because it's so big. I mean, the idea of dressing the whole of the palace for Christmas, I think it would cost an arm and a leg. Um, and we'll perhaps be talking to you about some of the other venues that are really beautifully dressed for Christmas shortly. But I think for the overall outdoor Christmas vibe, and it is outdoor, which of course in these COVID times is is helpful. Mm, I think a lot of, um, I mean, we'll go on to the specifics, but actually a lot of the events that I found are outdoors and I don't think that's um, necessarily because of COVID, but um, what you'll find is in the winter, properties do quite different things anyway. So in the summer, places are open. They're open around about the same opening times. You know, you can kind of get the, the vibe. Whereas in the winter, some won't open inside anyway. They're closed for the season. So any events they put on are outside. Um, but because of that they make a real effort there's loads of light shows lots of lots of places that light up their whole gardens and you've got a trail um so we'll come on to that but the, the what's interesting is yes they all seem to do a mulled wine um hot mince pie or hot pork bap or whatever um real comfort food oh, for when you're out and yeah I, I I like the idea of getting cold and a little bit uncomfortable just to have the yeah. comfort then of <laughs> of the mulled wine or hot chocolate if you don't partake in mulled wine. You know, there will be something. Yeah, um, that's so true. Comforting. And I think at Hampton Court, what you do is you, if you don't, if you're not a member, you buy um, a ticket to the palace and then you get access to the fair. Is that right? Could be because as a member, you just get access to the fair you have to book your time um but uh, mm. i think to just manage the flow yeah but yeah so i imagine you can 
yeah, because once you're in, that's it's in the it's in one of the courtyards, isn't it? So uh, I think in clock court, um, or oh, it might. No, it's it in base court. Out. I think it's oh, is in, it in base court. There's a, most of oh, it's in okay. base court. Yeah, so it's it's just covered with stalls. It's going to look amazing. Mm. I, I really can't wait. I can't wait. Just just go with an empty stomach, and then you just wander around from stall to stall, indulging. Anyway, um, I just wanted to take us to our next place. It's a completely different mm-hmm. place, but we were talking about interior decorations, and one of my favourites. I haven't been for a few years, but I used to go regularly at Christmas. I had the good fortune of dressing up and I did some book sales actually here and that's the vine in Hampshire um so I don't know the vine is probably probably maybe I'll be less than an hour from the center of London or around about an hour from the center of London I would have thought um but they do uh, obviously the vine has a strong Tudor heritage and we know that it was visited uh, certainly by Henry VIII, I think Catherine of Aragon, and certainly Anne Boleyn. It's got a fabulous Tudor long gallery, an amazing Tudor chapel with with 16th century stained glass. Um, but they do do a Victorian Christmas, and I have to say they dress the trees. They, you know, they do go to town and they have some lovely, lovely Christmas, interior Christmas decorations. And I believe that's on this year, although I couldn't actually find a date that it began uh, on their website but perhaps this is an opportune time to say that all the places we're going to be mentioning in this episode I'll put links to them in the show notes so you can just hop on over to my blog the link to the show notes will be in the description associated with this podcast as ever and you'll be able to follow up for yourself if you are interested in any of them uh, have you ever been to the vine at Christmas I haven't, I haven't been to the vine yet <gasps> I know I Shocker. know it's on my list I know <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I, I think it's good to have a list. I, I hope I never get to the end of my list because then I'll be like, oh, what do I do now then? So um, I think it's good to have a list. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, moving on, where else have you uh, come across on the web? So a place that combines, well, I've got a couple actually that combine both in, so you can go inside and they've decorated inside and they've got lovely lit trails in in their gardens and grounds the first one and it's interesting actually because uh, when you're saying there about dressing um the victorian christmas you know dressing at the vine probably what you'll see in it in all these places it's not going to be tudor decorations because they didn't do it in this in the same sort of way although i think they were i think there's crossovers everything's just um carried on so you know from ancient times people used to bring in evergreens mm. ho- you know a holly and that kind mm. of thing so um but it, the trees obviously would be from they're actually Georgian and, and Victorian but anyway um Hever Castle uh oh, they nice. dress the, the and the, there's the open fire in the great hall mm. um not the great hall sorry the uh the inner hall and um that's just good all right lovely I went at Halloween I haven't been at Christmas yet so this is another place I want to go at Christmas um but they also have a huge um Christmas light trail in the grounds and this year they're opening up even more of the grounds and when I was there last year to do, uh, I was recording a podcast and like I say I was there at Halloween time but they were removing the Halloween decorations and starting to put up these lights I can tell you it is a monumental task <laughs> these, these putting up these lights but the whole place is lit up it just looks 
incredible. They've also got a Pinocchio Christmas trail. So there's a Pinocchio theme this year, which I think is going to be really cute. Um, But if you wanted to see Father Christmas there, I'm afraid that's already sold out. But I think that's going to be lovely, that combination of of inside uh, decorations in the castle and and this outside. And the other one, if I, should I tell you about the other one that's similar, is Leeds Castle Mm. um, have got a garden trail plus their their decorating the inside of the castle as well and their theme this year is the 12 days of christmas so i it it sounds it sounds like it's going to be absolutely lovely so those those are two that if you like if you want to definitely go inside somewhere and see some decorations but you like the idea of the the cold trails with the mulled wine etc then then heaver and leeds castle uh, to me look like really good options i think you're making a really good point you know about the mashup between the historic house and a more recognizably modern Christmas. I know sometimes people, I did a, I did a, a video from Heaver at Christmas a couple of years back and some folk were saying, oh, but Christmas trees are not Tudor. I think, honestly, if you went to these places at Christmas and you didn't see a Christmas tree, I think a lot of people would feel that, oh, well, that, that's not quite complete. So they try and do this blend of honouring the old. And if you look, you will see some of the older traditions, particularly at Hever, because they I know Owen, who's the co-curator there, is very keen on bringing in elements of the Tudor Christmas. But you will also see that blended with a more modern uh, idea or twist on Christmas. So it's go and yeah. embrace it all is what I well, say. It, that also reflects the fact that these places were continued to be lived in after the Tudor period. So... You know, we we might be Tudor purists, but you know these <laughs> these these places have a history that follows on from the Tudor times, and they're going to reflect that, yeah, uh, in their in their celebrations and festivals. Yeah. So, but you're right. I think it would be difficult to um to dress. Um, I mean, they're large areas as well, so a tree does help to give yeah. over the <laughs> Christmas vibe rather quickly. Yeah, it does. Yes, it has an impact. And I know when you go in the inner hall at Hever, they have the big tree there and they have the fire going, as you were saying. And it's like, oh, this is just lovely. I mean, if you really need to, so sometimes I think as you get a little bit older, sometimes the sparkle of Christmas wears off a little bit if you don't have little ones around you. So I really enjoy going to these places because it just gives me, it sort of kicks me up the bum into Christmas, really, and gets me, gets me into gear. Um, I was just thinking of another place that actually does the blend of the inside and out. And it's not a place I've been to at Christmas either. Haddon Hall, basically. And that's a place I love. I love Haddon Hall. It's up in Derbyshire. We've talked about it before. Um, Mm. We've talked about it in our clubhouse rooms. Um, I haven't been to their medieval festival, Christmas festival, but it looks to be a really good one. And most Mm. of their stalls are outside as well, but apparently... The hall is open and they do have some Christmas stuff, some storeholders inside as well. And they've always got the fire going in the Great Hall. So you walk in and you can smell the wood smoke and, oh, it's just it's just such a glorious atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And I guess like most um, of these Christmas fairs we're talking about, of course, they all take place significantly pre-Christmas to give people time to buy all their presents. So... I know, for example, Haddon Hall has two tranches um, from the 18th to the 21st of November and then the 25th to the 28th of November. 
and it's six pounds per person to get access to i guess kind of the, the fair and the hall and an extra three pounds uh, for parking uh, but children under 15 go free apparently there but i think that would be a really really magical because it's Haddon Hall's quite small and intimate so I don't mm. know what they do in terms of decorating it but it, it, it would hold the space a little bit like Heaver it would hold the space very well so my sister lives near Sheffield so she's not far from Haddon and I'm actually thinking of just parachuting in in November and saying <laughs> I'm, I'm coming just to go just so I can go and see it really so that might be my plan I think <laughs> the beauty of that as well is Haddon Hall I believe closes to jet for general opening at the end of October so um so that's second lovely bite. that they open up to yeah. to do second bite of the cherry Brilliant. yes there's Brilliant. something about the fires isn't there though it's a different vibe um to these places when they yeah, when they when they've got the fires going and it's cozy and that smell, it's so evocative. Yeah, um, it really oh, is. You've made me think that. Oh my goodness, the, the, the list is ridiculously long and expensive. <laughs> <laughs> By the time I've gone to all these places, yeah. I, you see, I was I've always traditionally thought of planning my summer weeks going out on a road trip, yeah. but I'm just beginning to wonder now whether I need an intensive four weeks in November, early December, where I run around. It's uplifting, though. I think it will be wonderfully uplifting to get yeah. out into these. To, to these places in the winter it definitely. really would wouldn't it mm. oh yes and then you see what you could do is you could go and do all your christmas market stuff and then afterwards you could go and find the nearby local pub and have your Perfect. have your lunch in front of their roaring fire and that would just be what a lovely way to spend a day oh perfect we should we should do something about historic pubs the pubs that where you go in and go, this feels like a pub. I've we got, should, I've got, so, anyway, I'm going to have to hold back now because I've got such a brilliant pub to tell you about. But you're right. We should do that. We should do Maybe that. that would be our next Travel Essentials. But I've got our announcement about the next Travel Essentials. We'll come to that, shall we? Cool. Uh, yep. Shortly. Anyway, where else have you got? Because I've still got a couple on my list. Have you got any anywhere else you'd like to share? I have. So there's a place that, it's both is dear to both our hearts i know it's harvington hall in worcestershire and they've have um they have a few events on and i know phil the man who's the manager there is working really hard at creating events that um that really show off the hall and give people access in a different way but they've got really cute thing, wreath making workshop how cool is that on the first mm -hmm. and second of december they've got candle lit evening tours Ooh, which lovely. I think would be amazing. Oh. By the way, there are ghosts there, so um, just saying, if you just <laughs> all just saying, if you all think that, that way. But they also have um, they've got a couple of musical events. So they have the Tudor Christmas Songbook with um, a lady called Jay Britton, um, and she's being she's accompanied by a lutist. And I've heard her sing, and it's incredible. That's just one uh, a one-time event on the 15th of December. And then on the 18th, so we're getting quite close to Christmas, so this would be um, this would be very nice. Um, the Gloucester Wales, W-A-I-L-E-S, it's spelled. Mm -hmm. And they, um, they're a recreation of the town band, the Gloucester Wales, who were around in the Elizabethan and the beginning of the uh, James I period. So 
that all looks really cute to me. That, that looks, looks fantastic. Perfect. Well done, yeah. Phil. A round of applause. I know, lots on. I, yes, really impressive. And I know yeah. Jay, she's part of our reenactment group. And ah. she is she's the lady who makes amazing cakes. Um, if any of you oh, saw my Instagram lady. when my yes. partner was 60 and he, she made the head and shoulders of Henry VIII, that's Jay. She is multi-talented, makes you sick. Very but <laughs> Yeah, absolutely beautiful as well, her picture on the uh, on oh. the event photo. She's dressed in amazing red Tudor, costume, Tudor dress as well. Yeah, yeah, lovely, lovely. So, yes, that's a big shout-out then for Harvington Hall. It sounds like mm. they have done a fantastic job uh, for the run-up to Christmas. Wonderful. And they're in the Midlands as well. It's, it's sort of, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's fairly central, isn't it? Uh, Worcestershire. Worcestershire? Worcestershire, yeah. It's, yeah. it's in Worcestershire. So, but yeah, fairly easy to get to as well. Okay, cool. So I'm going to go to another place this time I have been. In fact, I know we've both been here. It's a very popular destination. We've definitely talked about this place before, um, but we're now going to talk about its medieval fair, and that's Ludlow. Ludlow mm. Castle has yeah. an annual medieval Christmas fair. And if you've been to Ludlow Castle, you know that when you go through the gatehouse, there's the huge outer ward, and that is filled with uh, stalls at Christmas time. And there's also usually some in the inner ward as well. You've got all sorts of kind of medieval people wandering around, um, all sorts of Christmassy things on sale. Um, and, and and of course, Ludlow is such a cute little kind of oldie-worldy town as well. You've got a nice little package there and it's directly, obviously the castle is directly next to the marketplace. So you can easily get, you know, move between town and castle um, so that is definitely, and that another that is another one that is on the twenty seventh and twenty eighth of November. So that's the same time that the Haddon Hall uh, Christmas Fair, and in fact, the one that I'm going to come on to shortly. So that that weekend, that last weekend in November, clearly is a very very popular time for these fairs. Yeah, you're gonna have to make a choice between <laughs> <laughs> which ones to go to. Now you went there hard. with your. You went there with your family, didn't you? And you've got you've got children. So what what's the experience like for somebody who wants to take a family along to one of these medieval fairs? Oh, it was it was it was really it was really good. And the children were only small at the time. And I think it might have been on that ridiculous cold snap that you referred to earlier, because I remember being in like basically any any coat I could find. I think I had about three coats on. It was it was ridiculously cold though, uh, very unusual to be honest. Um, yes, and they had I, I remember they had a big paper mache, uh, Steve uh, King Stephen. So a, a man was underneath this. Well, I presume it was made out of paper mache. I've got no idea. This huge King Stephen, and my daughter was was tiny at times, small enough to be on my husband's shoulders, and she just made my husband follow King Stephen around the outer ward the whole time. That's that's my main memory. Except the food tents were amazing. I do remember that, um, and you could get just so many different there was different craft stalls. You know, if you're looking for that's what a lot of these. Uh, fairs will give you looking for something that's a bit different as a present you're going to mm. find something something mm. lovely um but yeah it was it was lovely open fight you know the what do they call the brazier the fire oh, yes the brazier yes. yeah so yeah it was it was it was fab so um I actually would like to go back again when it isn't minus 10 or whatever it was when I went last time <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, and um, so that's, yeah, so that's the Ludlow, 27th, 28th of November. else you'd like to take us Philippa um Sudley Castle which we we've talked about in the past um they are another place that's opening specifically for a Christmas event because they are it's in their off season they don't generally open so the castle itself isn't open but they're doing this spectacle of light in the grounds um um from the 26th of November to the 30th of December obviously probably not opening on Christmas and Boxing Day, mm. so check where, when you actually want to go because it's not every day. And it's just in the evening, so you can get in from quarter to five. Um, and, yeah, they've got this beautiful light trail around the grounds and, again, lots of hot winter refreshments to uh, to comfort you if it is particularly cold. So that looks really um, nice as mm. well. You know, I think that will really Christmassy feel and and lovely but it is probably is worth saying all of these places we've mentioned i mean obviously you'll put in the the Mm. link in the show notes do check because some of these events um that are on for for a few weeks like the the lit garden festivals they're not necessarily on every day so um so just check before you go yeah, yeah. Sudley is one I've nearly been to about uh, Christmas about three times and for various reasons I've been thwarted along the way. So and there's no excuse because it's only about 45 minutes from me. So come on, Sarah, get your act together. Um, and, and that brings me to my final place that I wanted to talk about. And, and this is one that I haven't been to. As soon as I went onto the webpage, though, they are doing the heritage property alternative of the holiday picture on their website so they have and we're talking burley house and they have the whole thing covered in snow with snowy parkland and as soon as it came up i was like oh oh yes that looks lovely so i was seduced (laughs) instantly instantly seduced even though i should know better uh anyway 
Um, just to say that they they also have, I think it's an outdoor fair. I think it's Christmas fair. Again, it's that it's that hot weekend or four days or three, four days in this instance between the 25th to the 28th of November. Um, and that's obviously an annual event. So it looks to be well established. Although at present, I couldn't see any more details. It was details to be announced. So that will be one of those that's worthwhile going back and checking the link. And for those of you who don't know, of course, Burley is associated with Lord Burley. It was one of his country seats. It's again, it's, um, it's in Rutlandshire, actually, which is, uh, I think I'm writing saying the smallest county in the UK. It's a very little, tiny, picturesque county. Uh, and, and, and Burley is very close to Stamford, uh, which is an interesting kind of market town. Very, very historic. Used to sit on the Great North Road. So lots and lots of monarchs have come and gone and, um, uh, you know, sort of lodged, lodged in, at Stamford, uh, etc. So, yeah, very historic place. But I haven't been. Never been. Have you been? No, I haven't been either. No. You see, folks, we've got we have got our own lists. I know a lot of you email and go, Oh my god, my list is getting so long. <laughs> well we, we try and keep up and keep ahead of the game, but we also have long lists. <laughs> I say we, we do get out and about, don't we? And yet there's still so many places to go. But like you say, you don't really ever want to get to the end of your list because <laughs> No, you know, no. Then what then what? Then, then what would what? we do? Exactly. <laughs> then what? <laughs> Good. Any Anywhere else? Have you got anywhere to finish up with? I'm going to give a final shout out, a general shout out to um, sort of cathedrals and churches. So obviously they're going to be having Christmas services and and um, and they 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 get decorated for Christmas as well. There's a, a particular festival that I know goes on at Worcester Cathedral every year. They, they, they call it the Christmas Tree Festival and the cloister, because you can still go around the cloister at Worcester, is full of decorated trees each one sponsored by different businesses and charities from the the local area but it's um it's really again you just get that massive get festival uh, festive feel yeah mm, yeah lovely. so um obviously all the cathedrals will be having something on so mm. um just uh yeah take a look if you're heading somewhere um to see what's what they've got on so, well, I think that that was quite a few properties we covered. And just Ooh. a reminder, links will all be in the show notes, folks. And, and I think that probably brings us to the end of our chat about enjoying the winter, particularly the festive season here in the UK. Now, normally at this point, I'd be saying, I'll see you next month, Philippa. But as I was saying at the top of this show, um, what we're going to be doing with Travelers Essentials is actually making this series a seasonal event. So in fact, this particular Travel Essentials will be the final one of the 2021 season. But don't worry, we will be back because we know that as spring begins to spring, <laughs> <laughs> we will be getting out on the road again. You will be looking to get out on the road again. And we will want to be bringing you up to date with all the latest things that we've uncovered and the events that are going on and updating you all on the latest travel information. So the plan is that, that we will be back with Travel Essentials in April 2022. And we will look forward to that. The daffodils will be up. It'll be warming yeah. up here, won't it, Philip? And we'll be getting ready yeah. to um, start the season. Yes. Oh, yes. 
Spring actually is my favourite season, so this will be this will be lovely. Yeah. And I'm sure actually we'll have we'll have knocked a couple of places off our list between us between now and then. So we will have lots to tell you about. Yeah. And of course, as ever, folks, if you want us to talk about a particular theme around traveling and visiting places in the UK, or there's a particular county or venue that you'd like us to talk about, you can always send me an email on sarah at thetudortravelguide.com and we'd be happy to pick up that suggestion. But until then, I think I'm going to be the first to wish you a very Merry Christmas, Philippa. You're definitely the first. <laughs> no, I know we're going to be seeing each other and talking on Clubhouse and Instagram. So uh, it's just um, goodbye on here for the time being. And um, I look forward to picking this up again with you in 2022. Yes, thank you, Sarah. And uh, everyone else, I wish you a lovely winter and uh, see you in the spring. Well, my friends, I hope you enjoyed that foray into Christmas with Philippa Brule from British History Tours. And uh, as you heard in that recording, we will be seeing you again together here on Travel Essentials in the spring of 2022. Okay, so now we are moving on to the second part of the show. And as ever, I invite another guest along to share with us one of their recent adventures, uh, either visiting or particularly staying at a historic property because there are so many places, so many historic properties and buildings that have um, places that you can stay either as part of the buildings or in the grounds. And in this case, it's part of the latter. So now we're going to go over and speak to Deb Royal, who's going to tell us of her glamping experience at Leomani Tower in Essex. Hello, Deb. How lovely to be talking to you again. Hi, Sarah. It's great to be here. Well, thank you very much for agreeing to come on the show today. I've been looking forward to this because I, I did come across the place that you went to stay in the Leomani, the glamping earlier this year. And, and I, I've never really glamped, but and I'm not a camper at all. But I must admit the idea of glamping and particularly in a historic place is very appealing. So I've been very much look. And in fact, I've been holding off because we know each other quite well personally. We've had many conversations. I've been holding off asking you about all the juicy details so I can ask you in this uh, in this podcast. So look, you you went to Leomane uh, Tower um, in the summer, didn't you? Yes, that's right. We went in, in August as part of the school holidays and glamping. Yes, I've done all the camping thing, you know, girl guides camping and all of that. But I... I really only went because it was the glamour end of camping. It's very much glamping. Oh. And from that point of view, it was fabulous. And obviously because it was at Leomani Tower, which I was desperate to see. It's like icing on the cake, isn't it? I mean, I just love this. So so first of all, before we get into the glamping, and I want some in-depth descriptions <laughs> of what happens inside the tent or whatever it is, wherever you were, what, tell us a little bit about Leomane Tower because it, it is quite spectacular and it's got, so it's got a lovely history, Tudor history. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about, you know, what you see when you sure. go to Leomane and a little bit about its history. Yeah, so uh, you're right. It, it, it's wonderful because it still looks very Tudorish. It's you know it's a, it's a Tudor um, gatehouse tower, 
um, part of a single range. There was only one range that was built, but it was supposed to be part of an enormous complex around a courtyard. But sadly, um, Lord Henry Marnie, who built it, actually died a couple of years into construction. But what you see when you get there is this fabulous um, tower, gatehouse tower, which um, is the tallest in England. Um, and you do get that sense of you sort of see brick and stucco work and glass and you do get a sense of how impressive it must have been mm. back in the early 16th century um, and I love red brick and there's lots of diaper work and there's some other brick buildings around it as well sort of um, what was a barn um, so you do get a sense of, there's that lovely sort of Tudor-esque feel to it. You're Because so, I went for the first time um, to Le Marne this summer and and um, the first thing that struck me, actually, is it's quite out of the way, isn't it? You end up going down this little track and then suddenly this glorious red brick building is there and it's like, oh, this is wonderful. But, it, you know, expect to go out of the way, which I suspect was great for the glamping. Well, yes, and also no, I was exactly the same. It's sort of lots of little roads. Um, and the wonderful thing is you do get the sense of what it must have been like 500 years ago, how far away, I mean, Actually, I was able to get there within two hours from London, but sort of how far away from London it was. And and when you climb the tower, which I was able to do because we were staying there, um, and they let glampers in one morning to go and have a look up the tower, um, when you look, look out, you sort of saw... Uh, as far as you could see, was sort of rural countryside. Mm. Um, and apparently at one point that was all owned by the Marnie family. So once again, you sort of got a sense of what it would have been like. It was very easy to imagine yourself back there. It certainly, it certainly is. Now, um, Henry Marnie, who was he? Why was he important? So um, he was um, uh, Lord Privy Seal to Henry VIII, and he must have got on very well with Henry too, because Henry actually came and stayed at Leomani whilst it was still being constructed. Right. Um, so I th in the early 1520s, so it was built um, with a. He started construction in the early 1520s, and then he died um, in 1523. His son took over but also died, sadly, within a couple of years, which is why we've still only got this, this sort of single range. Um, <clears throat> um, and then later, actually, um, Sir Brian Tuke, who I don't know much about, but he was um, very important in the later Elizabethan court. Um, he, uh, Elizabeth I, visited when his family was still there, so she visited in the late 1570s. So it was obviously considered mm. important enough mm. to be visited by royalty, and, and the people that owned it were, were very close to, to royalty as well. And as you say, built in the 1520s, so on the back of the building of the likes of Hampton Court, which started around 1515, 1516, so it had all the latest architectural style. So you do feel very at home as a tutor, as <laughs> you were pointing out. It's like, oh, this is a building I recognise. Um, yes, brick, terracotta, stucco, you know, and then the sort of more glass from, from later on, but a lot of glass as well, which is really impressive too. So... Can we just be clear, the range that you see now, it's not that a lot of the building was lost, was it? Or was it that it, it wasn't it that wasn't it was just built. never built, was it, because yes. of these deaths in the family? Yes. And, and Sir John, so the, um, the, the son of Henry, um, didn't have any female, uh, sorry, only had female ears, didn't have any male ears. 
um, which was another reason. So his daughters became wards of, I think it was the Duke of Norfolk. Um, okay. um, so that was another reason why they sort of, uh, it wasn't continued. And it must have been incredibly expensive because seeing what was there already, it must have been, there must have been a huge cost to it. Massive, 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 massive. Now, um, I know you're very taken by the church, which just yes. lies across the lawn from, I mean, it's all very compact. It's lovely, isn't it? It doesn't take a, it doesn't really take a huge amount of time to look round Leomane Tower, but fantastic photo opportunities. I think. <laughs> yes. But the yeah. church lies just across the lawn from that. And, and, and it's a lovely church. Yes. So, and, and um, you're right. It's, quite unusual because it's so close it's it's, it is still now a parish church but it's very close to the tower like literally sort of two minutes walk and you you can see it very clearly when you're there um and although it's um built on the site of an earlier uh 14th century chantry chapel um that was built for william marnie um it's predominantly 16th century as well. So it's Tudor brick, So, um, which is quite unusual, um, seeing this large church built out of Tudor brick. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got sort of the typical Tudor doorway, entrance to the porch. Um, and when you go inside, it's lovely, actually. It's really lovely. It's got three very impressive tombs. So William Marnie, who um, who set up the Chantry Chapel I mentioned, um, his tomb's there from the 14th century. And then you've also got um, the tombs of Henry, um, Lord Marnie, and also John. Um, and they are fabulous tombs, really, mm-hmm. really special and um, in really good condition. So it's hard to, and, and to think I think the other thing that really hit me is you know they've been there 500 years and I was just able to walk in there was no one else around and just stand there in this place where they'd land and with their tombs for the last 500 years um it's quite it's yeah it was very special it's very plain inside mm. uh, the church um there's a, a large wall painting um of St Christopher uh, that they think's from earlier um, than than the Tudor period, um, but it's a very special, peaceful place in the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah, it's great. It's, <laughs> I'm lost for words. It's quite hard to describe. It. It's a it's it's a it's, very special place. It is yeah. a special place, um, and I think um, I, I mean I've only been once. Um, you were there clearly when you were glamping so you had access out of hours as well but there was hardly anybody there when I was around and that was um I think back in July time so mm. again you know height of summer there were just a few other people wandering around so you you certainly have space to enjoy the beauty of the place which I always appreciate and I think many of us do Yes, definitely. And we were the same. So we were there in um, end of August, so still summer holidays. Um, and it, yes, the, um, the family, the Charringtons um, that own Leomani, um, they opened the tower for, for people glamping. And then it's only and it's open a couple of days um, a week during the summer period. So when we were there, it was exactly the same, Sarah. It was um it was really peaceful and it was quite, it was very easy to sort of let your imagination wander. Mm-hmm. Love it, love it, love it. Now I want all the inside gossip <laughs> on the glamping. Tell us all about it. 
the glamping was fabulous. So sort of down the hill. So um, Lamani Tower is, is on a, a, a hill. And in fact, when you come there today, you sort of come to the back of it. Originally, they would have come up, up the hill, up to the front of the tower. Um, and the glamping is, um, the campsite's a bit further down the hill, um, so below Laomani Tower in the church. Um, and there's four campsites, or, oh, sorry, six, gosh, six campsites, because they're named after Henry's wives. <laughs> and so, of course, I should know there's six. Um, and we stayed in Berlin. Um, uh-huh. so, <laughs> such good go. taste, madam, such good taste. <laughs> Um, and they were wonderful because I, um, my kids were really looking forward to it. I was possibly less looking forward to it, but it was fantastic, I have to say. Um, um, huge, I mean, they were tents, but they had lovely, um, large, rustic, big table and chairs um, and really comfortable beds. I always think with camping, for me, it's the toilet and the sleep. <laughs> that, you know, really defined how you feel about the camping experience. And I'm thrilled to say that it's sort of at the side of the tent was a proper flush toilet. Oh, um, um, and there was a, an out, outdoor shower, which I wasn't so sure about, but my kids loved, and it was actually warm water. So that was lovely. I mean, very rustic, really looked fantastic. But from my point of view, the fact that it was warm water, I was thrilled about. Um <laughs> But it, I mean, it was camping. It was a tent in the sense that, you know, when it rained and the wind and all of that, and at night I had gone super prepared with really, really, really warm clothes and actually got too hot under my quilt, um, the duvet. <laughs> so um, <laughs> so that was lovely. Um, and also, I mean, there's no electricity and there's no Wi-Fi, which is brilliant. Um, oh. But I was pleased. I'd taken torches and things, but they did have... Um, battery powered lights like above the table and above sort of the the there was cold running water sort of with a kitchen in a kitchen area um and they had um uh, lights above that you know the a, a battery yeah. light but that just made all the difference but it was outside cooking um <gasps> how wonderful yeah, i know all my girl guiding skills came oh. back the fire the fires i lit at the end of the three days were much better than the fires <laughs> at the beginning of the three days that's for sure um uh, we, uh, the staff there were fabulous. So I had ordered this, it was like a cauldron with um, raw meat and a recipe for making like a beef stew, which was oh. really lovely, oh, actually. Wow. It was really lovely. Um, and the the tent had sort of a, oh, we would call it like a veranda area mm-hmm. with, with um, lovely big wooden chairs, like really great sort of roughly hewn wooden chairs that we sort of sat on watching the fire. Oh, um, my goodness. It was lovely. Oh, and sounds was, divine. Yeah, there was a shop. Well, they called it a bothy, the shop, but it was a it was a donation shop where, but it just meant they had extra fire starters and there was a fridge there that you could leave food because you didn't have, as I say, any electricity. Mm. So... For, for those people that like really rough camping, it's not that. It's mm-hmm. really not, it's really nice outdoorsy camping um, that people like me that like <laughs> a, a comfortable bed and a toilet nearby and being able to stand up and you know all those sorts of things. It was definitely that. It was it was fabulous. That sounds absolutely glorious the idea of sitting on the veranda with the kind of the lights going down and watching the fire and the smell of the wood so and I love the fact you can kind of order tea you know dinner that you you yes. then cook up I love yes. that yes 
Yeah, no, it was really great. Like I'd taken, there's a cool box inside the tent and and I'd taken my own sort of cool box. Um, um, so it was a good mix because, I, I mean, I, my kids got quite impatient because you still, when you were cooking the food, you know, it was still like it took a long time. You know, it was the proper slow cooking. There was also a f- um, a hot plate thing so that you could cook things like bacon and that on as mm, well. So, mm. I mean, it was... It, it was it was really good. It was a really good combination of being outdoors and enjoying it all. Oh, For me, the history was fabulous. Um, there was lots of walks and things. Yeah, no, it was lovely. I would hugely recommend it. In fact, just the other day, my daughter was asking if we can go glamping again. Well, so. I must admit, you've sold it to me, to be honest. <laughs> um, I would love that. I would absolutely love that because I definitely like my creature comforts, but I love being outdoors and all of those things that I was saying before. Oh, my goodness. So if you're listening to this, I, I, are you salivating at the idea of <laughs> booking into Leomani? Oh, my word. That sounds amazing. Uh, thank you so much. Now, now, though, is there any other... Any visitor tips that you can tell us about, things that you picked up when you were there that we should also do, perhaps, if we're in the area? Yes. I mean, the other thing that I did was um, went into, so Lamani is probably about 15 to 20 minutes drive from Colchester. So that's the nearest sort of big, big town. Um, And in Colchester, right in the centre of Colchester, is a wonderful Tudor townhouse, which is now a coffee shop. So Timperley's. Talking my language. Yes, talking my language. (laughs) So we did go in there one day. So it's right, if people know Colchester, um, it's right in the centre. So you sort of need to park it. We parked um, at uh, one of the bus stop car parks. Um, And then right in the centre, you sort of have to walk up up the hill, um, is this wonderful uh, Tudor townhouse. So you walk under a gatehouse. It opens out into a lovely open area, sort of a small walled garden. Um, and you've got this this original property, so which was begun in the 1490s um, and expanded later in the 16th century um, and still looks fabulous, you know, with brick and timber and plaster, just, just like you would expect. Um, and it's got a lovely connection because apparently Elizabeth I's physician, William Gilbert, um, lived there for a while as well. So Brilliant. you've got history, gorgeous Tudor building and Coffee, coffee and cake. Coffee and cake. (laughs) This has been amazing. I have loved this discussion. Um, I just, yeah, it's just quite do I fit it into next year. That's that's what's going through my mind. When and how and where do I fit it in? But thank you so much, Deb. This did not disappoint. I've been holding off and this did not disappoint. (laughs) So thank you so much for sharing uh, your experience there with us. Thank you. So before we go, though, um, where can people find out more about you and the Tudor Times? And is there any projects you want to tell us about that's ongoing with you at the moment? Oh, wonderful. Thanks. Yeah, so Tudor Times. So we have the website, which is uh, tudortimes.co.uk. We're also on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We're doing a lot more on Instagram. So that's a good place to find us um and i guess the main project we've just completed is i would just do a quick plug for our new books of days on elizabeth the queen elizabeth first book of days and the mary queen of scots book of days um which you can find uh on our website but also book depository amazon anywhere that you get your books that's perfect and they're always beautiful they're produced to such a high standard they're just so lovely and tactile and um <laughs> 
And I have to say, the quality of what you guys put out is always absolutely top notch. So I endorse and encourage you to go and grab yourself a copy. So so thanks so much, Deb, for all of that. And uh, for those of you who might want to hear me in conversation with Deb and Philippa, actually, um, going forward, you can pick us up on Instagram Lives on Friday afternoon at four o'clock. This is quite new for us. We have been doing some chats over on Clubhouse, but we're moving our old Sunday room on Clubhouse on to Instagram, Instagram Live, Friday afternoon at four o'clock, where we do some more visiting Tudor Britons. So if you want even more conversation about wonderful Tudor places to visit, make sure you hop on to Instagram. That's four o'clock. Of course, that will be British Summertime or GMT, GMT after the clocks do their stuff in mid-October. So for now, Deb, I'll see you around soon. Wonderful. Thanks, Sarah. Well, that's a massive thank you to my friend and fellow blogger, Deb Royal, for contributing and letting us know all about the wonderful glamping at Leomane. Now, before we finish, I wanted to let you know about an event that I have just launched. As many of you will know, every year I run a virtual summit. And in fact, this year we're on the fourth annual summit and I have just opened booking to this year's event and I'm delighted to announce that the topic for this year is power to peasantry the art of being a woman in Tudor England. Now my friends the reason I chose this topic was largely because of the feedback that I have had from you. So Often people email me and say, I love hearing about all the various royal Tudor characters, but what was it like to be an ordinary person in Tudor England? Well, I thought that I would put the lives of Tudor women from different spectrum of the Tudor society under the spotlight. So from royalty and the great aristocratic ladies of the land through to the mercantile classes with the help of six different experts, we will unpack together the many and varied aspects of expectations placed upon women at the time and how women enacted and even challenged those expectations. So you'll learn about how status affected the lives of women in Tudor England. You'll uncover how women express their power and challenge societal norms. You'll find out how they influenced and yielded power in a male-dominated society. And you may even find yourself challenged to look again at the well-trodden path of female history and with fresh eyes. Now, the lead speaker for this event, I'm so excited to say, is Professor Susanna Lipscomb, who many of you will know. She's a well-known author and a TV presenter, and she has an incredible insight into the lives of 16th century women and really helps us unleash the feminine voices of the past. We'll also be hearing from Emma Rutherford from the Philip Mole Gallery in London, who is an expert on Tudor miniatures, and she will be telling us about how women used art and miniatures in particular to convey their own sense of identity and communicate with those that they loved or indeed wished to influence. On the second day of the summit, we'll be joined by Dr. Rachel Delman from the University of York. Now, Rachel is an expert on women of power of the late medieval and Tudor age, and particularly how women at the very highest levels of society were able to use their houses, the built environment, 
to head their households, express their identity and yield their own feminine form of power. We'll also be joined by the Tudor tailor who will show us how a woman of the middle classes would have gone about clothing the household. And in a wonderfully visual demonstration, we'll get to see how a woman of the middle classes dressed from her undergarments to her final finished ensemble. And then at the end of day two, I'll be treating you to a fly on the wall documentary as we pull back the veil of time and visit Paycock's house in Coggeshall in Essex, where we follow in the everyday life of a merchant's wife as she manages her household and prepares for the arrival of some very influential visitors. As I mentioned, this virtual summit will take place over the 23rd and 24th of October. However, all videos are pre-recorded, and so if you can't make those dates live, do not worry. You will be able to watch any of the videos at your leisure up until the 30th of November 2021. So booking is now open and you can purchase your tickets right away. So I hope to see you there. If you do have any questions about the summit, please feel free to email me as ever at sarah at thetutortravelguide.com. Well, my friends, I think that is the end of this particular episode and of this series of Travel Essentials. Just to remind you that we will be back in the spring of 2022 with a whole shed load of new places to go and visit. And I will be looking forward to sharing our adventures with you. Well, until then, my friends, it is, of course, happy time traveling. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Now remember, if you've enjoyed the show, please do like, rate and subscribe to this podcast to spread the Tudor love. Until next time.